One of the things that I love about living in Brooklyn is the diversity here. Uh, some of you know that I love eating lots of different kinds of foods. And I can get almost any kind of food I'm craving from somewhere in our neighborhood or close by. Japanese, Thai, Mexican, Indian, Italian, Vietnamese, Greek, Chinese, Malaysian, German, Peruvian. I could go on and on. I could go on and on. I love them all. But it's not just the food. I also love living in a community where I can interact with people who have different cultural traditions, life experiences, and perspectives that enrich and broaden my own view of the world. Um, last year, our son, Lucas, started kindergarten at PS 102, the local elementary school a few blocks away from our home. And the principal of the school told us that in the incoming kindergarten class, there were 12 different languages spoken just in the kindergarten class, 12 different languages that, that uh, the families of these kids were coming from. And I love the fact that my kids are growing up in a place where they're getting to know other kids and other families from many different cultural backgrounds. But in the midst of the beauty of diversity, there can be challenges when you bring together so many different cultures. Uh, there can be misunderstandings. There can be miscommunication. And each of us has a tendency to think that our culture is normal. Um, and so we can sometimes criticize the way that other cultures do things because of that. When, when certain cultures have more power or influence in a community too, that can result sometimes in inequality and discrimination and even oppression. So there's a beauty in diversity, but there's also a challenge that can come in the midst of that. Well, when the first Christian community began to grow in the city of Jerusalem, as we've been looking at through um, our study of the book of Acts this summer, it began to become a more and more diverse community. But with that diversity came challenges, as we're going to see in our text today. And we've been going through this, this summer sermon series um, called Witnesses, looking at the earliest followers of Jesus and how they functioned as Jesus' witnesses, testifying to who Jesus is, what he had done. And in today's text, we're going to see that a part of that witness in the world involves how we deal with the reality of diversity. How do we respond to it as believers in Christ? Is it going to be something that, that we embrace and, and are able to see the beauty in, or is it something that ends up creating divisions and conflict? And so we're going to look at how the gospel of Jesus Christ impacts how we relate to one another in our different cultural backgrounds and in other areas of differences as well. So my sermon title today is Unity in Diversity. We're going to see how the Jerusalem church sought to build unity in the midst of the diversity that existed there and what we can learn from them in our own context today. So our text today is from Acts chapter 6. We're continuing kind of where we left off two weeks ago, um, where we finished off chapter 5. And today we're looking at uh, chapter 6, the first seven verses, verses 1 through 7. So hear the word of the Lord. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables 
Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you again for this glimpse into the work that your spirit was doing in that early church, that early group of believers, and the ways that you were beginning to teach them and mold them and shape them uh, for the ministry that you had for them. And Lord, thank you for giving us this record to teach us, Lord, how to be your body, how to be um, your people in this culture, in this context too. And so teach us this morning, Lord, give us open ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. As we dig into this passage today, I want to start by looking at the challenge of diversity. Uh, to look at what the diversity was in, in this early church and what the challenge was that they were facing. Um, when we first see this reality in our text between, uh, as it mentions, these two different groups of people. Uh, it, it talks about Grecian Jews and Hebraic Jews. And, and so just kind of some background on this. And in Judaism at that time, uh, there were some Jews who had grown up in Israel, you know, in Judea, near Jerusalem. They spoke Hebrew or Aramaic, and this group was known as Hebraic Jews. But if you know some of the history of Israel in the Old Testament, there was a period of time where, where the Jews were exiled out beyond their, their nation. And, and many of those Jews continued to live out in other con contexts and, and cultures and nations. They were still Jewish. They still followed the God of Israel. And yet they were growing up, raising children and in different parts of the, of the world. And, and so particularly, there were, there were many who were growing up in the Greek-speaking world, in kind of the, the Greek you know, empire influence. And they were still Jewish, but they spoke Greek. They identified more with Greek culture than they did with Palestinian culture. And so they were called Grecian Jews or Hellenistic Jews in some translations. Now, the first followers of Jesus were primarily Hebraic Jews because Jesus focused his ministry in Israel, right? Among the people of Israel, in Galilee, in Judea. Um, and he, you, if you read through the Gospels, you see Jesus reaching beyond that too, even into Gentile territory in certain situations. But his primary calling was to the people of Israel. And so his 12 disciples were Hebraic Jews. They, they, they spoke Aramaic, Hebrew. And most of the people in Jerusalem who were coming to believe in Jesus would have also been primarily Hebraic Jews because that was, again, that was, that's the context where they were. But we find out here in Acts chapter 6 that some of the early Christians were Grecian Jews, that there were some Greek-speaking Jews in Jerusalem, that there were some, some people who had grown up in the Greek culture who had come back to Jerusalem. They were more comfortable speaking Greek rather than Hebrew, and yet they were living in Jerusalem. And now they, were, they had become believers in Jesus, right? They had start to, to, to form a community. And so I want you to note that, that as the disciples were living as witnesses, that's kind of been this theme we've been going through this summer, as they're witnessing in Jerusalem, what happens? They start drawing in a diversity of people, 
Right? They're not just reaching out to Hebraic Jews. They're reaching out to, to anyone who would hear the gospel. And some of those were Greek-speaking Jews that began to be a part of the Christian community. Um, at this point, they seem to all have been still Jewish or Gentiles who had converted to Judaism. Later on, we'll see in Acts that they begin to reach out even beyond that to Gentiles. We'll see that in, in, in Acts. But there were Hebrew-speaking Jews and Greek-speaking Jews. So I was thinking about this reality. It reminded me, actually, of the history of our own church, of 59th Street Church. You know, 59th Street Church was founded by Norwegian immigrants back in 1912, over 100 years ago. And this neighborhood back then was primarily Norwegian. So it made sense to reach out to the Norwegian immigrants. That was what the congregation was founded as. All the services initially were in the Norwegian language. Things are a little different now, right, over 100 years later. But as the neighborhood began to change over time, the leaders of this church realized, let's begin to reach out to the people in our community, people who are not from a Norwegian background. And so in the mid-1970s, some of you who have been longtime members of our church went through this, lived through this, know this, that, that Doug Heilman began to reach out to teenage gang members in this neighborhood who were from primarily Spanish-speaking backgrounds. And he started a ministry that became discipleship ministries that's now turning point ministries and that started here in our church as they began to reach out to gang members in 1980 the church called ivy goon to begin a ministry to chinese immigrants in the neighborhood that has now grown into our current chinese-speaking department that worships with us you know in Burma memorial every sunday morning and so as 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 members of 59th street church were witnessing to this changing neighborhood Guess what happened? A growing diversity began to follow, right? As we pro proclaim the gospel, just as it happened in Jerusalem, we begin to reach out, and, and there's, and there's, a, there's a, a multiplicity of, of people coming to faith. But as I mentioned before, there can be significant challenges that come when you bring diverse groups of people together. And that's what happened in the church of Jerusalem. In verse 1, we see that in our text. It says, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, if you remember, one of the, the characteristics of this early Christian community in Jerusalem was that they shared their possessions with each other, right? There was this amazing just sharing together. They gave freely to those who were in need. And so one of the groups that, that was in need, that was particularly vulnerable in that society, were widows. That many widows, if you lost a husband, there was, there was a vulnerability there. And so there was a daily distribution of food to widows in, in their community. But somehow it seems that the Grecian Jewish widows, and from that Greek-speaking background, they were being overlooked. And this was creating some tension between the Hebraic and the Grecian Jews. Now the text doesn't tell us exactly why this happened or even how it happened, but when you think about the fact that the Grecian Jews complained to the Hebraic Jews about this, sort of indicates that the Hebraic Jews were probably in charge of the food distribution. Right? So the Greek-speaking people are saying, coming to the Hebraic Jews saying, hey guys, as, as food's being distributed, our widows are being overlooked. This isn't happening equally. And so because the Hebraic Jews were in charge probably of the food distribution and they were more familiar with 
the Hebraic widows, less familiar with the Grecian widows, where they lived, it's not hard to imagine that some of those Grecian widows were probably overlooked, right? That they may have, they may have just known the Hebrew widows better. We're, we're not sure if there was intentionality here, if, there was, if it was unconscious. Is it possible that some of the Hebraic Jews actually maybe even favored their own widows, even if unconsciously? See, one of the challenges of diversity is that there can be unequal treatment based on differences. It's a reality. Diversity can be really wonderful, but the other reality is that there can be unequal treatment based on differences. Whenever you have differences between groups of people, whether that is racial, ethnic, or cultural differences, or differences in age, differences in education level, or income level, or gender, or language, it's very easy for unequal treatment of a particular group or groups to follow. And often that unequal treatment results from one group or groups having more power than other groups. The more powerful or influential group might favor people in their group over people who are different from them. Just like the Hebraic Jews overlooked the Grecian Jewish widows. Sometimes it's intentional, other times it can be unconscious. This week I was listening to a story from uh, the NPR radio show, This American Life. And, and they were talking about um, a, an African-American woman who had moved to Paris, France. And at first when she moved there, she was struck by the fact that she felt like white people in Paris treated her way better than American white people in her community back here. She's like, these French people are really nice to me. And, and she wondered why that was, you know, why she was experiencing sort of a difference from the, the French people. And she began to realize that that many of the Parisians that she met, they primarily viewed her as American rather than as being black. And the reason for that was because she didn't speak French very well initially, and she had a very American accent when she tried to speak French. So she'd come into a store and she'd start speaking and people would say, she's an American. And so they would, they would kind of, you know, and, and, and there's a, there a favorable sense from the, the, the people that she interact with. But here's the thing, when her French got better, and she started speaking with a French, more authentic French accent, suddenly she noticed that the white Parisians were treating her a little bit colder. And she began to realize that, that people were viewing her as one of the many immigrants who had moved from the French-speaking countries in Africa. And that as they looked at her and they saw she had a great French accent, they began to, to pinhole her as that she's this. And so she, she began to reflect on this fact that you know, when, when Parisians viewed her as an African-American visitor, they treated her well. But when they viewed her as an immigrant from an African country, they, they treated her completely different. Right? Differences can sometimes result in unequal treatment. And our, the history of our nation bears witness to this, right? In so many different ways. We see that we could spend, I could spend, you know, a long time talking about the various realities of that. And, and there are all kinds of ways that we can sometimes do this, too. We can, we can treat people unequally based on differences. Young people sometimes dismiss older people as being out of touch and stuck in the past. And older people can sometimes dismiss younger people as being naive and unrealistic, right? And we can have these sort of views of, of each other because of those, those differences. And we tend to treat people who are like us a little bit differently than people who are different than us. Maybe you've been on the receiving end 
of someone making stereotypical assumptions about you because of your race or your gender or your age or your class. And if you're honest, maybe you've made those kinds of assumptions about other people who are different from you. We are often more likely to help those who are like us and to be suspicious of those who are different from us and to overlook people who we feel that we don't have much in common with. And so what happened in Jerusalem back then, it happens today too, doesn't it? So how did this church in Jerusalem deal with that challenge? What happened? What did they, how did they deal with this? Let's take a look at how the gospel impacts diversity. How does the gospel, the fact that this was a Christian community rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, how did it affect them in the way that they dealt with this unequal treatment that was happening in their midst? Well, the first thing I want you to notice about the response of the 12 apostles is that they take this complaint seriously. They don't say to the Grecian Jews, you're overreacting, you're blowing things out of proportion. Maybe you're just imagining that your widows are being overlooked. You know, stop your complaining. I'm sure it's not intentional. They don't do that, right? They don't dismiss it. They address this challenge head on because they value the perspective of the Grecian Jews. They value the diversity of their community. And so they want to address any unequal treatment that may be happening. They take it seriously. Let me ask you a question. When we hear about unequal treatment of one group by another, what's our response? Do we dismiss it? Do we try to explain it away or excuse it? You know, do we just kind of say, oh, they're, they're, they're just being oversensitive. They're just being over, they're overreacting. Or, or do we actually take it seriously? Even if maybe we have questions, we're not understanding exactly how this all, are we willing to first believe what a person is saying and try to understand things from their perspective and realize that maybe we don't see things completely clearly. And that maybe we actually need to listen and try to understand something from someone else's perspective. The apostles take the situation seriously and they not only just listen, but they actually act to remedy it. But they don't try to solve it themselves. Did you notice that? They invite the broader body of believers to choose seven men among them to take responsibility for the situation. So the group chooses seven men. They present them to the apostles. The apostles pray for them, lay their hands on them, and affirm the choice of the people. Now, I want you to listen again to the names of the seven people who the apostles choose, or who the people choose, right? The people choose them. Verse 5 says this. They chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. Now, I don't know if you notice anything about those names or if you recognize this, but each of those names are standard Greek names. The names of the seven that the, that the people chose were very likely a group of seven Grecian Jews. And so they choose seven Grecian Jews to deal with the situation where the Grecian Jews felt that they were being overlooked, that their widows were being overlooked. And the Hebraic Jews affirm that choice. They say, that's, that's a good choice. We're, we're affirming that. What's the significance of this? Well, think about this. 
When a group of people is accused of treating another group unfairly, what's the normal response? Usually it's to get defensive, deny it, say, hey, uh, we're not doing that. And on the off chance that maybe you're willing to acknowledge there's, there's some inequality here, you might tell the other group, okay, we'll fix the problem. We'll try to deal with this, right? We'll, we'll try to even things out. It is incredibly rare for the group that's accused of acting unfairly to give the power and authority to solve the problem to the group that's brought the accusation. To say, you know what, you're feeling un- treated unfairly. We want to empower you. You're going you're gonna to take the lead with this. We're going to give you the authority to make sure that this is, that this is sorted out. That's what the church in Jerusalem does. They say, you're right, your widows have been overlooked, and so we're going to choose seven men from your group to ensure that this doesn't happen anymore. Now, why would they do that? Because of the gospel. Because this is a community centered around Jesus Christ. How does the gospel impact diversity? The gospel frees us to look out for the interests of those different from us. The gospel frees us to look out for the interests of those different from us. In the scripture reading that that Romario read earlier from Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul talks about how the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, breaks down barriers between groups of people. In Ephesians, Paul is talking about the divisions between Jews and Gentiles, which, again, we're going we're to see later on in Acts as well. But the same principle applies to, to any situation where you have different groups of people who are in conflict. And what, what Paul says in Ephesians is that the gospel levels the playing field. It tells us that we're all in need. We're all in need of God's salvation. And it proclaims that Jesus has accomplished salvation for everyone regardless of their cultural background, regardless of their age, that we're all in need and that Jesus has died for all of us, for all of our sins through his death and resurrection. And so when we come together under the gospel, under the the lordship of Jesus Christ, there is no room for feeling superior or inferior to any other group because we are all brought together in the name of Christ, reconciled to Jesus And because our value is also secure because of the gospel, we don't need to prop up our value by criticizing others or treating them unequally. We don't need to to show that I'm I'm special because you know what? My value comes from Christ, not from anything about my race or my age or my whatever characteristic. In fact, the gospel frees us to actually look out for the interests of, of people who are different from me because their interests are no longer a threat to me and they're my brother and sister and I want to care about their interests because we're united as one in Christ. So the Hebraic Jews, they're willing to look out for the interests of the Grecian Jews and they show that by giving the power to the Grecian Jews to take the lead with distributing the food. Those Norwegian believers here at 59th Street Church wanted to look out for the interests of those different from them. And so they called a Chinese parish worker to take the lead in reaching out to Chinese immigrants in this community. When I was in college, 
the campus fellowship that I was a part of realized that they were primarily ministering to white and Asian students. And they realized, and they, they wondered why they weren't reaching out to more black or Hispanic students on our campus. And so what they did was they made a point to invite some of the black and Hispanic students in our fellowship into leadership so that they could think through what changes needed to be made to become a more welcoming place for those students, right? The white and Asian students weren't going to figure that out on their own. They say, we need to hear your voice. We need to hear your perspective so we can do this together. The gospel of Jesus Christ frees us to look out for the interests of those different from us. And this leads to the final thing that we see in this passage, which is the strength of unity in diversity. That when we see the beauty of diversity and we are able to bring unity, there is great strength in that. Now, some people respond to the real challenges of diversity, right? The ways that, that sometimes tensions can come and unequal, inequality can come. Their response is to then avoid diversity altogether. You know what? Because I don't want to deal with it. The, the challenges, I'm just going to hang out with people who are just like me. Or another way to sometimes people try to deal with the challenges is by trying to achieve uniformity of trying to erase differences and pretend that they're not there and, and trying to, to downplay them and just sort of say, we're all the same, when the reality is, no, no, we're not all the same. There's differences among us, but we can, we can begin to see things from each other's perspective. Are ignoring diversity, avoiding diversity, or doing uniformity, that's not what the Bible says. That's not how the Bible teaches this. What does the Bible teach us? That the body of Christ in the New Jerusalem, in Revelation, it's going to be a group of people from every nation, every language, who are united together in the body of Christ. And so differences and diversity should be celebrated as a good thing. The goal is not uniformity, but it is unity in diversity. And we see that in the way that the apostles deal with the situation. They recognize that within the body of Christ, it's a good thing to have Different people focused on different areas in the church. Right? It's a good thing that we have different gifts and skills. And so the apostles say, you know what? Our primary calling is to preach the word. So we're not going to try to do that. We're not going to try to deal with the differences of, of food distribution. We're going to bring other people to do that. It wouldn't be good for them to take away from what God had called them to do. And so they, they raise up seven men who will focus on that issue. Different gifts. Diverse roles but unity in their mission and purpose. And the same thing applies when it comes to other areas of diversity. Our congregation is enriched by the fact that we have people of different ages worshiping and serving together. Look around this room, right? We got a, we got a, a wide range, right? From young kids to folks that are retired and in the golden, age, golden years, right? And, 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 and all kinds of people in between, right? We, we have different ages, and we are enriched by that. We benefit from the experience and wisdom of members who have been walking with the Lord for decades, who have seen God work in powerful ways, and who can share about those stories with those of us who haven't been around as long. And we, our congregation benefits from the fact that we have young people who have energy and new ideas and new perspectives. You guys, right? We need you in our body. We need each other in this body. Our congregation benefits from the fact that we have people from different cultural backgrounds worshiping and serving together. Again, look around this room, right? 
We are a mix of different people, and we benefit. We are, we are greatly enriched by that fact in our, in our body. Does that make things sometimes more challenging? Absolutely. But when we recognize that our cultural perspective is actually limited, and that we actually need to hear the voice and perspective of someone different from us, it can open up new possibilities that make us even more effective witnesses for Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what happens in Jerusalem. After the apostles make the decision to elevate these seven Grecian Jews to ensure that food is going to be distributed fairly, the last verse in our text, verse 7, says this, So the word of God spread. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The word of God spread. More and more people became believers and disciples of Jesus. That is the strength of unity and diversity. When we work together to reach the community of Christ, with Christ, there's no stopping us when we work together in that. So how is God calling you to respond to this message this this morning? For some of us, God might be calling us to acknowledge the ways that we've treated people who are different from us in unequal or unfair ways. Have you made assumptions about people because of their age or their race or their gender or their immigration status or the language that they speak? How have you responded when someone has spoken about ways they've they felt treated unequally. Have you dismissed them, doubted them, criticized them? For some of us, God may be calling us to confess the ways that we've responded to diversity in self-centered and prideful ways. And to come to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me for the ways that I have helped contribute to the, the divisions that sometimes happen or, or to, to treating people in this way. For others of us, God may be calling you to step forward and actively be a part of building the unity and diversity that God's wanting to build within our congregation and our community and even in our nation. If those Grecian Jews had not been willing to to speak up to the Hebraic Jews, their widows would have continued to be overlooked and the mission of the church would have been hindered. Is God calling you to use your unique voice to speak up? We need to hear your voice. We need to hear each of our voices. If those seven men hadn't stepped up to serve with their unique gifts and perspective, the problem would have continued or the apostles might have neglected the preaching of the word or they would have gotten burned out by doing too many things themselves. Is God calling you to step up and serve within our congregation? Does he have a place for you and if you're, if you're here today and maybe you're newer to our congregation and, and you're not sure what that would even look like, you know, to serve in our congregation, I would love to talk to you about that. You know, to see how, how, could, how could we take your unique gifts and, and, and bring those out in the midst of our body. Maybe you are serving, but what God is calling you to do is to look around at others who, who he's wanting to invite into serving with you. It wasn't the apostles who chose those seven Greek-speaking men to serve. It was the people. It doesn't have to be me or Pastor Novi or one of our elders that invites you to serve. We can invite each other to serve. 
Maybe you know someone in our, in our body that you know some gifts that they have that maybe I don't know. And you can be the one to say, hey, use, come and join the worship team. Or, or why don't you help hand out a bulletin? Or, or why don't you help serve with our children's ministry? God might want to use you to help encourage and invite someone else to serve and bring their unique gifts and perspective into our body. So brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is our peace, as Paul said. Through his life, death, and resurrection, he has destroyed the barriers among us. He has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. He has brought all of us in our differences, has reconciled us to himself, and he has created in himself one new humanity. One family, one body, with many diverse parts. And so let's receive this good news and embrace the unity and diversity that God is knitting together in our congregation, in our community, in our city, in our world. And as we do, let's go out as his witnesses to the power of the gospel to do this amazing work of bringing about a supernatural unity in the midst of great diversity. Let's pray. Lord, we confess and acknowledge that there are ways that we do play into some of the, the challenges and difficulties, Lord, sometimes of the realities of diversity. That there are times where we look at someone who's very different from us and we don't understand them and we, we make assumptions about them. We, we have stereotypes. We, we begin to treat them differently. Forgive us, Lord, for this. I pray that you would, would, would bring us to conviction of moments where we have done this and that we would bring those moments and, and ask for your forgiveness and ask you to give us fresh eyes to see the people around us the way that you see them, Lord. We pray that our body, our church here, 59th Street Church, would grow to become more and more a reflection of, of your body, Lord, of this community, of, of people from various cultural backgrounds, various ages, various educational backgrounds, Lord, and that we would be united because we are united in you, Lord. That we have been reconciled to you through Jesus Christ and that that would be our defining identity and that that would send us into wanting to learn from one another and to hear one another and to serve with one another. And so, Lord, I pray that the ways that you have been maybe even bringing to mind things even today to those who are gathered here, Lord, that you would Show us what the next step might be to begin to step into being a part of your building unity in the midst of diversity in this congregation, in this community, even for those who are, are, are heading out from here, Lord, like our youth work staff. You show them what that looks like in their own communities too. And so thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for teaching us. And now as we worship you, Lord, invite your kingdom to come in this community, in our lives, and that we be used by you in this work, Lord. Hear our praises. In Jesus' name, amen.